at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years, no interest, plus five months, no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So Mike Spaulding, at the start of the program yesterday, we had a conversation, and matter of fact, it generated a ton of email response and text response from people uh, about my, my intention yesterday to change cell phones, because I, I have an iPhone 5S 2013, and I've kind of decided it's time to make that move. And so we were discussing you know, how you do those things and stuff like that. So you asked me when we came in today, did you go? Well, I, I did, and there is a story here. Now, the, the reason that prompted me, and again, I, I love this, this little phone here, but what prompted me was the fact that I've changed the battery a couple times, but when I go to plug it in to recharge it, it, it didn't, the charging thing just didn't go in and didn't sit right. And so, okay, I figure it, it's time. So, yes, after work, I drive to the Apple store. Now, here's an interesting thing. I went to the nearest Apple store, Bayshore. Let me tell you something. No smash and grabs there because to walk into the Apple store, it is like walking into the Capitol after January 6th. <laughs> there are, there's, there's a, there's a row of security guards. Yes. There were at least four security guards and I'm not complaining. It's just, I mean, it's like I was kind of taken aback because you walk past four security guards to get into the Apple store. So I walk past the four security guards. You got to put on your mask and then there's, there's two people waiting to help me. I also noticed that it was it was actually, I thought, kind of eerily empty, which is weird because I'm used to these things being packed. So I go in and I say, I'm looking to buy an iPhone 13. And the young man says to me, well, he said, we can sell you an iPhone 13, but we do, we do not transfer data. We won't do the data transfer. Okay. Well, that, that's what I, I stopped at because it's been a while since I bought the phone. But I, the last phone I, I remember, you know, or when my wife bought hers, you take the old phone, they do whatever voodoo they do. It takes a while, but they transfer all the data. And I said, huh, well, why is that? They said, well, we're hoping to be able to change it. But with COVID now, um, we, you know, it, it takes it, it takes time. And I, I don't think they want people standing there waiting for the transfer to occur. So in other words, they would sell me the phone, but then I'm kind of on my own with all the rest of the stuff. So this kind of took me back a little bit. I thought, well, I'm, I'm not sure how much data I really need to transfer and all this stuff, but but I, I want to take a step back and figure out what sure. this is if they're not doing it. So I said, okay. And they also said, well, we hope to be able to do this in the next month or so. So I, I got the idea that this was just a, a COVID sort of thing because I'm, I'm kind of a one-stop guy. If I'm going to buy the thing, I want somebody who knows what they're doing. And, you know, I want somebody who knows what they're doing mm-hmm. to do it. So because I, I know just enough about technology to be dangerous. Okay. So that, but so I, I leave, but it doesn't solve my underlying problem. I was having trouble charging my phone. So I go back home and I'm trying to think this through. And I, I have another example, Mike, about how the Internet is not just for pornography. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's that song in, you know, in, in the, the, the Play Avenue Q where the Internet is for porn. Well, that might be, but the Internet is for other things. And I'm thinking... I wonder if there's kind of a simple solution for this problem. So I go on the computer and I, you know, put in the Google search, iPhone 5S connection, power cord not connecting. And sure as heck, there is a YouTube 
and and what the, the guy I so I kind of click on it and it's got the same problem I have the guy is, is showing is he's like putting the little thing in the, the little slot there and it's it's not charging so here here's what the YouTube thing is apparently who knew this in this little slot at the bottom of the phone there if you put it in your pocket lint collects in the slot kind of like you know lint collects in your dryer or stuff like that and the guy says well people don't think about this but in the youtube video he takes a little thumbtack and he starts gently the emphasis is gently kind of scraping out this thing there and you see all this lint keeps coming out and i thought huh so I couldn't find a thumbtack, but I found a paper clip and I opened it up and I spent about 10 minutes as my wife is watching me thinking I've completely lost my <laughs> mind, you know, scraping this thing out. And, and all this lint is coming out of, of the slot. So after about 10 minutes, I figure, okay, let's see. And I plug it in and while it's not perfect, it's much, much better. So obviously that was one of the things. So I still, want and need a new phone, but now there's not the urgency because I feel I'm able to charge it a lot easier. So that's my story. So successful trip then for you? Well, successful trip in that, number one, whatever a new iPhone 13 costs, $800, $900, I didn't have to spend that. (laughs) And so I I have that $800, $900, and my little iPhone 5S that I love is still, it's now, at least it's charging a, a lot better than it was. Plus, I've learned that you kind of scrape this stuff out. Who would have thought that lint gets in this little thing? But it makes sense when you think about it. No, absolutely, it does. So successful for you, and you have found uh, what my wife refers to as dad YouTube, which is just uh, plain and simple videos of men or women showing you how to do everyday things. I use it all the time as a relatively new homeowner. Anytime we're doing housing projects, YouTube's my first thing I do. I go right to it and chances are there's someone who has done the exact same thing that you're looking to do so it's well, right now now sometimes i have found that it's even if you look at it it's still too adventurous mm-hmm. for me you know because it, it, look if this involved taking the phone apart and and it would have been a different sort of thing because even if they do it on youtube eh. but but in this particular case it was just i got these people texting saying oh, i do this with toothpicks all the time who who knew and so you know at least i have temporarily if not eliminated the problem, I've made it better. Now, people are saying, we still need to get a new phone. Well, I will get a new phone at some point in time, but this one works right now, and I think I at least want to wait till again, they, they can go back to transferring the data. I'm not sure what I really have on here other than the contacts that need to be transferred. Yeah, but it's better to have and not need, right, than need and not have. When- yeah, I, I guess, yeah, that, that's that's sort of it. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure that they tell you how to do it and all those sort of things, but again, you know, if I'm going to if I'm going to spend all that dough, and that's a service that is normally provided as part of sur- spending the dough, I'll, I'll wait to have somebody else do it for me. No, that's a, that's a smart move. Yeah, it's like baking a cake. Someone can tell you how to do it and how to roll the the frosting and everything the right way, but you actually doing it is completely different. Uh, my wife, when she got a new phone, they did the same thing that Apple told you is we're not going to transfer data. Okay, well, it seems easy enough. You just scan a thing here and scan a thing there. Well, of course, there's like little intricate tiny steps in between that they don't tell you about. You kind of have to figure out on your own. And at one point, you're confronted with, do I remove the data from my old phone to my new phone knowing there's no going back? Right. And so we sat at the kitchen table for 10 minutes saying, we've done everything. We've checked it nine times. But once you do it, Right. It's gone. Do yeah. Do you hit that button? Mm-hmm. Right. That, are you sure you want to yeah. transfer? Right. <laughs> That's exactly it. Where they keep asking, "Are you sure? Are you really sure you want to do this?" And then you kind of debate 
am I going to push that particular button or yeah. not? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I go through that a lot. And most of the times, I kind of chicken out with, with that stuff. But, well, yeah, because you think I, may, I might not need all this stuff, but some of it I think I would probably still want. And if I do this for – there's no turning back uh, – I don't know. I don't know if I want to do it. We almost went back to the store and said, can you just make sure we did this correctly? Because, right. yeah. No yeah, and, and a number of people are texting saying, well, what you do is you create an iCloud account and you put it there and then you download it. I And I, I, I understand all that stuff in, in theory and I might be able to do it. But again, I'm going back to my basic premise of if I'm going to spend all this money on this and it is a service that they normally provide and I don't have this urgency now that I absolutely have to have the new phone, I'm going to wait till somebody who really knows what they're doing does it because inevitably when I have hit that button, are you sure you want to do it? Yeah, sometimes I've come to regret it. Yeah, no, exactly. If the car dealership's going to set up my GPS for me, I'm just going to let them go ahead. It's one thing I've learned in my years. I'll just let them do it. it, it exactly. <laughs> they Right. It, and then again, I, I, I always, it's sort of like I found this out on a very basic level when I bought my first house years and years and years ago, which is when it comes to things like there are some people that have great abilities when it comes to plumbing and electricity and all that sort of stuff. I just didn't get that gene. And my deal is, if if people don't practice law and don't do talk radio, I promise I won't do plumbing and electricity. Because my experience has been, normally when I try to do that stuff, number one, I do not get it. I do not fix it. And number two, I generally make it worse. <laughs> yeah, so, then it's more expensive and more of a headache. Yeah. Exactly. So we, we just move on. But that's the saga. I still have my iPhone 5S. I will, at some point in time, probably move on from that. But not quite yet. All right, let us switch gears, and I want to start with a very serious and troubling story. Let's take a quick break. We kick off with that in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Every murder is is troubling. There's no question about it, but some are more troubling than others. And for people who hope that the violence in the city of Milwaukee was going to abate in 2022, because we said after after the the record number of homicides in 2020, it, it had to be better in 2021, right? Well, wrong. Uh, depending on on who you listen to, the the official tally is 197 homicides in 2021. Actually, I think it was probably a handful more. But wh- why quibble? Around 200 homicides. And already, you know, this year we, we have a few. Uh, the one that is getting a lot of attention is something that occurred on January 2nd, about 1025 at night at, at a Burger King drive through on 51st and, and Capitol. Um, so here, here's the deal. 16-year-old girl, her name is uh, Naisha Brazel, and, and she's working the, the drive through window at at the Burger King, all right? Now, you don't necessarily, I guess, think of of that as being the highest crime area because you're behind glass and things like that, but but she's she's working there. And in this what happened is not a secret because there's all sorts of security cameras that show it. Apparently, there's a guy who pulls up. The man has not been arrested at this point in time, and I don't know if he orders food or whatever, that then pulls up to the drive-through window. At that point in time, so the, the young lady is behind the counter, what happens is the guy who is wearing a, a hoodie and he's got a mask on, 
and he's got a handgun in his hand. What he does is he kind of lunges out from behind the the driver's side car, puts down the window, lunges out, and kind of gets inside the the drive-through window that the girl had opened up. He's got the gun in his hand. Apparently, um, what happens is he tells her he wants wants all the money. And so he's trying to rob the drive-through. And like I say, there's pictures of the car, and there's very, very good, vivid pictures of the guy. Now, all you see, again, is a little bit of his eyes. You see the mask. You see the hoodie. But there's vivid pictures of this. And you, of course, see the handgun in his hand. What happens is he apparently fires a couple shots. One of the shots that he fires hits and kills this 16-year-old girl. It hits and kills the 16-year-old girl who, by all accounts, I mean, she, she's a high school student. Um, her aunt says, look, here, she, she just, she, she wanted to, she didn't want to be a burden. She's a student at Pulaski, at Casimir Pulaski High School. She took a job at the Burger King because she didn't want to be a burden of the rest of us. This is, this is a really good kid who, who's out there, you know, trying to make a little bit of money, you know, working while she is going to school. And you get some murderous low-life thug that pulls up to decide to rob the drive-through with a gun and ends up killing this 16-year-old girl. All right. So that that's the that's the underlying facts of the matter. Police describe the suspect as a black male with a heavy build, last seen wearing a hooded red hooded sweatshirt, tan pants, was armed as a, with a handgun. The car used in the incident is described as a black four-door Chevrolet Impala with a sunroof and a spoiler on the back. And again, if you've if you've seen the accounts of the story, there, there's there's a pretty good picture of the guy, admittedly wearing the hoodie and wearing the mask, so you don't see his face. But I guess here here is my point: there is no question in my mind that people out there know who this murderer is. Now I understand wearing the mask and stuff, but there's no question in my mind that there are people, maybe more people than you want to acknowledge, who look at this picture and say, yeah, that's Fred, or, or yeah, that's Bill, or yeah, that's Jeff, that's the hoodie he had, yes, he drives a black four-door Chevy Impala, that's, that's him. I have no doubt that there are people who mask, no mask, know who this guy is. And yet, at this point in time, he is still out on the streets. Now, at a vigil that was held yesterday for this 16-year-old girl, you've got a number of family members who are saying, you know, that they want the community to come forward and help find the suspect. Again, one of the family members says, if this was your mother, your daddy, your sister, your niece, your grandma, you'd want whoever knows something to speak up. To which I would say, amen. Of the almost 200 homicides that occurred in the city of Milwaukee last year, the the clearance, that is the number of cases that have been solved, is way below 50%, which is, um, it is, I guess you understand it because of the volume of, of the homicides, but also that is very atypical. The Milwaukee police have historically been extremely good at clearing cases, and and yet, we, we have a large number of cases and murders unsolved in large part because people 
I believe, have known exactly who the perpetrators are, but they have, for whatever reason, decided not to come forward. This, to me, is the same sort of thing. Somebody, matter of fact, lots of somebodies, I believe, know who this murderer is, and he is still on the streets. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, things are never going to get better in this community until, first of all, people in the community decide to take some responsibility. And when they see and know who is responsible for committing crimes, they come forward and start cooperating with the police and identifying people. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess this is my frustration because this happened Sunday. It is Tuesday. These pictures are all over and and yet we still ha- don't have, at least publicly, an identification of the person who's responsible for this. My theory is lots of people know who this is. How much longer is it going to be before people come forward, identify the man, and he is taken into custody? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I have one of our our texters, one of our cranks. Who? Oh, Jeff, I don't think anybody knows who this is. How dare you say that people know it? No, I stand by what I said. No question in my mind that there are a large number of people who look at that picture. They know exactly who the murderer of that sixteen year old girl is. They look and say, "Oh, yeah, I I saw Fred driving around. Yeah, that's the that's the red sweatshirt he had. Yes, he drives the black Impala. No question in my mind that a number of people do. Now, if you want to deny that. Fine, go ahead and deny it, but I think you should kind of live in the real world. Robert in Milwaukee. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Okay. Uh, good morning. Yes. Uh, my comments on all this are, yes, we have to have, in order to have law and order, we have to have everybody uh, accepting law and order. But my comment was this. Yes, uh, we have to have uh, people who I can identify this guy. I've lived in this in my neighborhood for 37 years. We've had uh, nice killings and and drug uh, this and that, and everybody knew who everybody was. Okay, uh, drug house and all that. And the uh, the bottom line to all this is the neighbors that I do have now for the last twenty years don't allow this to happen anymore. Okay, we keep our eyes open and we watch all this. But whatever happened to the high tech um, uh, uh, identification of uh, of these uh, criminals? You you still have a you still have a bone structure you still have a head yeah. size everything else that they can run through their high tech um, database mm-hmm. and everything too. What are they doing about it? Well, I'm sure Robert. I'm I'm sure they they are doing that sort of stuff, and, and I'm I'm sure they're they're running license plates. I don't know if they got license plates on this or the descriptions, and I'm sure I'm sure they're doing canvases of every you know black Chevrolet Impala that fits into this you know age category, and, and they're looking. So I have no doubt that the cops are doing their their business. But but it doesn't it become easier if one of the people who have seen this murdering thug who has killed a 16-year-old girl, finally decides, you know, I'm going to make this phone call because it, it bothers me that this guy could be out there because, you know, he, he could be doing this again or he could be running or or whatever. The easiest thing to do would be somebody who sees this to just pick up the phone and say, you know, uh, here, I'm, I'm calling 911 or I'm calling the local police department and I know or at least I think I know who that is and here's the name and here's an address. Is that too much to ask? 
back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Hi, Jeff. I know you're familiar with the saying, snitches end up in ditches. I've worked for over 30 years in the prison setting as a counselor and a social worker. I just can't break through that mentality. How do we do that, Jeff? Jeff, I agree. People know them. uh, Snitches get stitches. Um, Teaching high school, this phrase is dangerous and disheartening, and people will take it to the grave. That's why the see something, say something is getting such a big push, because it is combating this very real and very serious and very stupid phrase. Yeah, is is that the idea? And then some people are saying, well, you know, he's probably threatening people. Oh, okay. Well, there's a 16-year-old girl that is dead. There is a murderer on the loose, for goodness sake, in the community. At some point in time, don't, don't, doesn't somebody have an obligation, you know, morally or otherwise, to come forward, make that phone call? Maybe you make it anonymously or whatever and say, look, I, I saw these pictures on the TV, uh, and I, I just, I, I recognize this. I know this guy. This is Frank. Frank, I've seen him wearing that red hoodie, and I've seen him in this, you know, black Chevy Impala. Now, I don't know for sure, but that might be a start. I mean, <laughs> there's a guy that murdered a 16-year-old girl, for God's sake, that is out on the street, and people protecting him? Come on. 855-616-1620. Uh, Marcus on the north side. Marcus, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, uh, Jeff. Uh, it, it's saddening to, to talk about this today, but here's we're, we're reliving the same nightmare. So what if this is the same person that goes out to Waukesha and runs over 100 people? At this point, in, in the Milwaukee community, it's sad. We know who this person is. Somebody if does, If you look yeah. at the video, you... Did, did you notice that the license plate was kind of blurred a little bit? And then for this person to do something so heinous, and that there again, for this person to go to sleep at night, to di- maybe ditch the car, whatever he did at that point, or to go to sleep in somebody's bed or his own bed, take a shower and go to sleep, they know who this murderer is. This is why Milwaukee has this high crime rate. No one wants to open their mouths about that situation. But I guarantee you, Jeff, if it was this person's mom, sister, or some loved one to that person, then that person would use that same gun that killed this young lady that had a lot of dreams. So it's a personal problem where in the community, in the central city, where people will not turn in their loved ones that do these heinous crimes, and that's why it's hampering the Milwaukee Police Department uh, Jeff, quite naturally, of getting these crimes solved because we know who these individuals are. If I if, if I got a clearer picture of that person, if it was my cousin, I got relative. Well, believe you me, my mom would call in on me. Jeff. Well, I, I right, I know, yeah, absolutely, Marcus. Yeah, I mean, thanks. Sir. And look, and 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 I I understand it's this look. This is one of the reasons why I think these clearance rates are, are so low. And this isn't a criticism of the police. First of all, it's the large number of homicides. But secondly, it, it's the fact that you get little cooperation in some cases not in all cases from from the community and and if there's not a crime that shocks the conscience of the community if this if this situation a 16 year old girl working as a cashier at a burger king who is murdered at a drive-through window on january 2nd if this does not shock the conscience of the community well you you might as well just put up a fence and have any decent law-abiding person move out because this is the type of thing that i don't care where you feel on the defund the police movement or i don't care where you feel about this issue or that issue Everybody 
should be outraged at this, and everybody should want to get this murderer off the street before he kills again, number one, and number two, to hold him accountable for the death of this 16-year-old. So to anybody out there, and, and some people are texting me saying, Jeff, if, if you knew who this was, would you turn him in? Absolutely, in a heartbeat. Now, I, I might not go and have a, a personal long conversation saying, well, you know, I, I think I want to encourage you to turn yourself in, but you're darn right. If I saw if I saw a photograph of somebody that I knew or somebody in the neighborhood or whatever, and I said, boy, that looks a lot like that. That guy that killed that 16-year-old girl looks like a lot like that guy who, you know, lives in the apartment down the hall. You're darn right I'd be making that call to the police saying, hey, look, I, I want to remain anonymous. If, if I'm afraid of it, I am. I, I say, OK, I want to remain anonymous. But I'm just telling you, I, I've seen this picture and I saw this guy and he kind of matches the description. And I've seen him wearing a red hoodie and. And, you know, I saw him on Sunday afternoon and he was pulling out of his parking spot in a black Impala. You might want to look at this. I mean, is that really too much to expect in the community? Let's talk to Jim in Bayview. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jim. I, I agree with you. And uh, these previous callers have all made excellent points. I believe, unfortunately, that, like you said earlier, that there is this no snitch thing going on somewhere in places in this city. But I, this is the new point that I have here. I, what I really believe is that, uh, somebody or somebody's know this identity. And what's going to happen is as soon as they announce that there is a reward for this person, that then a person will step forward because someone is waiting for money. Boy, I hope you're wrong. I mean, I, I, I boy, I, I, I just hope you're wrong. How disappointing would that be if you have people who well, know yeah. who this murderer is, but they're saying, well, sooner or later yeah. they're going to put out a big reward. Burger King's going to put out a $10,000 reward, and, and then we're going to cash in. Man, if that's the case, that that's a very sad reflection on, on society as I well. I it is very sad, but, uh, you know, we're in Milwaukee and there's all these homicides and I, I don't care what it'll take to bring this uh, person in, but if it does take the reward, I'll be happy that the person's off yeah. the street if they are the guilty one. Absolutely. No, thanks for call. Right. I mean, you, you know, whatever it, I'm with you with ever, whatever it takes, but the, there are certain, you know, there, there are certain times when you shouldn't be motivated by money. And I'm a free market guy. I'm a capitalist. Okay, I, I get it. But if if there's really somebody out there that says, "Hey, I know who that is. That that's that's that guy from one floor down. That's that's Fred so and so." But I'm I, I'm not going to make the phone call until I find out if if somebody in the community or Burger King is putting up reward money. Then I'll make the call. If that's really the mindset of somebody, well, that says a lot about that person as well. For the love of God, if somebody knows who this guy is. Make that phone call. Let the cops catch him. Maybe you can save another life because if you're willing to shoot a 16-year-old girl in a robbery at a drive through window, what, what else are you willing to do? Taylor in River Hills. Taylor, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Taylor. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I, I just wanted to say that I'm not really into cliches like the snitch, snitches yeah. and gets stitches and whatever, but I wanted to say that on your sister station, The Truth, WNLB, there is legitimate outrage about this crime. There's a, also, to go with it, there is a legitimate fear of retaliation, and that has a lot to do with a lot of the murders that are going on in the city of Milwaukee. 
I mean, you got to be naive to think that someone is just randomly shooting up a house where an eight-year-old is is hit and killed or wounded or whatever. People know who this guy is. They know that he's crazy enough to shoot up a Burger King and kill a 16-year-old girl. There's also a fear that if that guy is turned in and they find out that you are the one who did it, the same thing can happen to you. So I wonder, it's not 100% that you will remain anonymous. It's not 100% mm-hmm. that that person will not find find out who you are. But there is, a leg, I think, a, leg, a legitimate fear that people don't want to take the risk of getting themselves or innocent family members involved because they decided to pick up a phone. Then how does anything ever get better? How, how does anything ever get I have, better? I have, I have no idea. Yeah, but, it, it, but, it's just it's just a vicious circle that I see no end to. That first of all, you raise your children right to not commit any crimes and do the right thing. That's the only way this thing stops. Yeah, thanks for calling. And again, I, I I guess the the bottom line of all this is how how do you live with your yourself, and, and what does it say about you know your your community? If first of all, you're willing to go to sleep at night knowing who it was that killed a 16 year old girl. You know, you're you're willing to do that and you're willing to sleep at night because, OK, you might be afraid of some form of, of retaliation. And I, I I mean, I and what does it say about the community at large then that crime is so very out of control that, you you, you know, you just you, you tolerate stuff like this because I'm going to tell you it, it, it'll never get better. That's just the reality. I, I'm a law pro law enforcement guy. And that's why I, I believe in more cops on the street. I believe in more aggressive prosecutions. I am extremely critical of the uber-progressive, ultra-liberal, touchy-feely district attorney in Milwaukee County, whose policies, I think, have come home to roost over the last couple years. And the longer he is in office, the worse things are going to get. I am very critical of a court system that takes violent offenders and puts them back out on the street to commit more crimes. But at, at the be- it doesn't. But to start the whole thing off, you, you need to have citizens who are willing to step up. And again, I'm, I appreciate the thing with the cliches, but when they see something, they're willing to say something. And this idea that, OK, well, I, I might be worried. I'm willing to trade off the fact that there's a guy that murdered a 16 year old girl who's roaming the streets and may very well kill again. I'm willing to trade that off because I, I'm afraid that I just don't want to get involved. Well, that's great until the next 16-year-old that gets murdered is, is your daughter or your niece or something like that. You're never going to make things better unless people are willing to come forward and cooperate. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Wondering what 2022 will have in store? Well, join WTMJ on Wednesday, January 12th. That's a week from tomorrow for a day-long broadcast on the topics that impact your everyday life, politics, the economy, health, and more. Hear from big-name guests like Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers and Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson. It's WTMJ 2022 on January 12th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by the Bartolotta Restaurants. For more information, go to WTMJ. Com. All right. Now, a couple of texters are saying, well, well, Jeff, maybe somebody did come forward. Maybe the police know who this is and maybe they're just not making that public, to which I say, I hope you're right. I mean, I, I, I hope 
you you are right because you are never going to you're, you're never going to bring murderers to justice unless the community is willing to cooperate and in this particular situation there's no question in my mind that multiple people know once you see that pretty good picture of it they, they know who this guy is and hopefully there has been a blizzard of phone calls identifying him and hopefully he will be in custody soon that would be that's the glasses half full version of of me commenting but we will see all right now this is a less serious sort of crime but it does kind of again reflect where we are when it comes to tolerating illegal behavior. We talked a lot in 2021 about the, the car thefts. More than 10,000 cars stolen in the city of, in the city of Milwaukee. It was just astronomical. And you had leader after leader who refused to want to hold the car thieves accountable. The estimates are about half of the cars that were stolen in the city of Milwaukee were stolen by child, by kids 16 and younger. And in most cases, very little happened to them. Under no circumstances will the DA waive a multiple car thief into adult court if they're a juvenile, unless they've stolen the car, gone on a joyride, fled from the police at 100 miles an hour and hit and killed somebody. That's a different story. But you can steal car after car after car, and you are not held accountable. And unfortunately, we all need to, to realize this. Um, here's the story out of Franklin. Three days and three cars stolen in Franklin. Franklin police have put out an alert to residents higher um, highlighting uh, what they call this triple uh, theft trend that's happened over a recent three-day period. All vehicles were stolen from the west side of Franklin, west of 76th Street. The vehicles were not in close proximity to each other. But apparently one of of the situations was that in all three of these cases, people had left the keys in the car. Now, a lot of this was kind of inadvertent. Somebody had multiple sets of keys. They're rearranging the cars in the driveway. One set of keys was accidentally left in a cup holder. But the bottom line is you crime is so out of control in Milwaukee County, not just the city, but in Milwaukee County, that you don't even have to leave your car running. You apparently have roving groups of thieves that are going through the communities looking for cars that might even be unlocked so they can look in the cars to see if there happens to be a key. And in Franklin, they found three instances of where that was. So I guess there's two points here. First of all, unfortunately, we, we are not living in Mayberry anymore. And the truth of the matter is you, you are you are not safe from thieves anywhere. And you do have to take precautions. And the idea that you can leave your car unlocked anywhere, you are just asking for trouble. That's just kind of the bottom line. Because apparently in Franklin, I mean, I, the sense I get is you have these thieves that were opening cars and just going through them looking to see if there happened to be in keys. That, that's what they were doing. And in three cases, they found them. So you can't leave your car locked, unlocked, number one. But number two, the the larger point is, how much more of this stuff are we going to tolerate as a community? Look, I don't criticize the cops. It, It is sound advice to say you shouldn't leave your car unlocked because people will go through it even just a matter of minutes looking to see if there's stuff they can steal or if they can find the keys, then they're going to take the car. Okay, so I don't fault the police for saying that. But what does it say about us that we are willing to tolerate living in a community where you can't leave your car unlocked for a matter of minutes, not even the car running? You just can't even leave the car unlocked for a matter of minutes without it being stolen. 
We are all apparently willing to tolerate that because it is happening on a regular basis. If we as a community said enough is enough and demanded the prosecutors prosecute the people and demanded that the judges hold people accountable when they got caught and supported the police in trying to track down the punks, thieves, thugs, whatever, who are doing this, maybe you could get Maybe you could get at least a handle on it, but we're apparently not willing to do it. We're willing to tolerate 10,000 cars being stolen in the streets of Milwaukee. We're willing to tolerate a system that allows people to walk door to door looking for cars in driveways that might be unlocked so that they can steal them because the criminals have no fear that they're going to be held accountable. How much more of this are we going to tolerate from our elected officials and from the people that are hired and paid money to enforce the law? Because I think it's really only when that silent majority, and I know people hate that term because it's got Nixonian overtones, but when that silent majority of law-abiding citizens says enough is enough, yeah, I left my car unlocked locked in my driveway. Okay, bad on me, but there's something that's out there. It it shouldn't have been stolen in five minutes. And the fact that you've got so many criminals out there that are willing to rip off cars that have been left unlocked for five minutes tells you all you need to know about the state of society nowadays, and it's not a pretty picture. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Look, I, I appreciate that the the latest variant of, of COVID has everybody on, on edge. As we've talked about repeatedly, I, I'm, I'm convinced that we're, we're all going to get um, this this Omicron variant and and if we if we haven't gotten it we we were if we haven't gotten it yet maybe we don't we've had it already and we don't know it or we're we're going to get it at some point in time in the future it just it seems to be spreading like that and my my anecdotal evidence is as I've said repeatedly I know more people in the last month who've been diagnosed as positive with COVID than I do for the last two years of the pandemic and in all the cases I the people I know. Does it range in age from 17 to into their 80s? In all cases, it's people who've had both vaccinations, both doses of whatever, and in many cases had boosters. And, and nevertheless, they, they've tested positive for COVID. Now, the good news, and it's why I believe people should get vaccinated, even though it appears that vaccinations aren't going to stop you from getting this latest variant, but it does indicate that if you get vaccinated, you're not likely to get very sick. You're not likely to be one of those people that's in the hospital. The vast majority of people who are hospitalized, most not all, but most are people who, again, haven't been vaccinated, so they get it worse. So that's the justification for getting vaccinated or boosted. But the truth is, it seems like almost everybody you know is coming down and getting diagnosed with COVID. And people who haven't been diagnosed with it, like I say, may well have had it because the estimates are that 40 percent of the people who are vaccinated and or boosted who get it are are asymptomatic. And the good news, as we've talked about before, the good news about this is that this gets us maybe closer to herd immunity because as, as more and more people get it, they build up a degree of immunity. And if you can just get past this temporary situation of the hospitals being overwhelmed, maybe you get to a point where COVID 
and its variants does become more like the seasonal flu. It's not the flu right now. I get it, but it becomes more like the flu or more like a cold, something that people just live with. You don't feel good for a day or two, and then you, you get on with, with your life. So I appreciate that we're, we're wrestling with how to deal with this. And the balance that we're trying to come up with is we, we can't shut down this country anymore. And, 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 you know, that was the initial approach. We're going to lock this down. We're going to shut down the country. And I think the American public won't put up with it. The world won't put up with it. So now we're talking about how do you live with COVID and try to manage it reasonably. You even have Anthony Fauci, who for the longest time was the guy preaching, oh, you know, we, we've got to shut this down. You know, you can't have any sorts of exposure. Well, now he's saying, well, I agree with the CDC that we, you know, we, you know, we want to be able to get people back sooner you know and after you know you've been after three days or five days or whatever it is you you can go back and we understand that you still might be contagious but we're trying to find a balancing because if we have people have to quarantine for 10 days we're not going to have doctors we're not going to have nurses we're not going to have pilots we can't shut down the country again so we're trying to get to this balancing you see this balancing also in the world of sports uh, I don't know if you watched football games over the weekend. I, I was I was watching the Packers on Sunday night. Lambeau Field was full. What did you have? Seventy five, eighty thousand people. Now, admittedly, most of those people were outside, but but not all of them. Have, have you watched like any of the basketball games lately? Well, they're they're full. Now, if you want to go to an event at Pfizer Forum, they've reinstituted the mask requirement. So you got to put your mask back on. But that's their, their kind of trade-off. That's their balance. We want to do this because we're, we're going to continue to play our games. And we know people are willing to do this balancing. Maybe they've had COVID. Maybe they're not worried that they're going to get COVID. Maybe they're vaccinated. Maybe they're boosted and they figure if they get COVID, it's not going to be that big a deal. They're willing to take those chances. So if Pfizer Forum says, okay, come out to the Bucks game. You got great tickets. You got to wear a mask. People can then decide whether or not the inconvenience of wearing a mask outweighs the fact that they want to go see the basketball game. But life is going on in most places. All right. The Olympics come around in February. And right now, we're going through the Olympic qualifying period. For example, um, coming up, I believe it's this weekend, in Nashville, Tennessee, the U.S. Figure Skating Championships, the, the U.S. Figure Skating Association is holding their championships. That's going to decide who's on the Olympic team. About 750 athletes, coaches, officials, and media, and thousands of spectators are going to be coming in person to Nashville to watch the events. All right, what they've decided to do, recognizing that there, there's COVID around, is here. The, here's the deal. In order to go, you have to show proof that you have been, you know, vaccinated. And you also, uh, either vaccination or a negative COVID test within three days. Masks are going to be required in most circumstances. And there's going to be limits that officials have placed on contact between the athletes and the fans. They've canceled autograph sessions. They've reorganized in-person functions. And they have other, um, you know, mitigation things that they've put in place. But they're still going ahead and they're still allowing people to, to come in. They're doing essentially what athletic venues all across the country have done. And they're reverting back a little bit to maybe where they were six months ago, nine months ago, but they're going ahead with this. 
Which brings us to something going on in Milwaukee. U.S. speed skating has taken the position effective Sunday morning. And the, the, the speed skaters, their Olympic qualifying is going on um, this week at the Pettit National Ice Center. Happens only once every four years. U.S. speed skating has taken the relatively unique position that they are going to shut shut down the competition. No spectators. The only people who will be able to attend are, in fact, the athletes, period. That, that's it. No family, no friends, no ticketed people, nobody. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the headline in the Journal Sentinel says, A no-win situation at the Pettit includes locking out the families of Olympic speed skating hopefuls. I'm sorry, I don't see this as a no-win situation. I see this as an overreaction. Look, the bottom line is COVID is there. I understand that you want to keep the athletes as protected from COVID as possible. But, but seriously... In many cases, these kids live at home. So here, here you've got the deal. Mom or dad drops the, drops the competitor off at the Pettit Ice Center. They ride, they get up together. They live in the same house. They have breakfast together. They drive in the car to the Pettit National Ice Center. The kid, the athlete, gets out of the car and goes in the door. Dad can't go in and watch him. That, that makes no sense to me at, at all. And then after the competition is over, the athlete comes out, gets in the car, drives home, and goes home with mom or dad. Okay. At, at some point in time, I think I appreciate that you've got to be cautious and you've got to be careful. But this idea that we're, we're going to put these people in a bubble, and in particular, we're not going to allow family even family to go in and watch these trials. So mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, you've, you know, helped your kid learn to compete at the Olympic level. You know, you've, you've worked with them, you've helped them train, you've paid for all this stuff, and now you're not going to be able to go watch them even if you're vaccinated, even if you're boosted, even if you're wearing a mask. No, I'm sorry. I think this is an overreaction. I think U.S. speed skating is wrong in doing it. If they want to put in restrictions, fine. Like, that's what the figure skating people have done. That's what Pfizer Forum has done. 855-616-1620. Is it an overreaction to essentially have these events conducted in an empty arena where parents, family, friends are not allowed to watch? And is it really going to accomplish anything? I mean, seriously, what is the likelihood that somebody sitting in the fourth row wearing a mask is going to infect some speed skater on the ice? 855-616-1620. I think it is an overreaction, and that is not to depreciate the significance of, of COVID. But at some point in time, don't you have to figure out that we're going to have to figure out how to live with this? And isn't it just an exercise in futility to say, oh, we, we don't want these kids to get COVID, these competitors to get COVID before they're supposed to go to China? I get that. But we think it's going to make them substantially safer by saying, you know, somebody can't sit, you know, 50 yards away from them in a stand watching them compete. 855-616-1620. We discuss. You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ.
855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, but I, I think this, this ban on spectators going out to the Pettit Ice Center to watch the speed skating Olympic championships, it's just, it is an incredible overreaction, and it borders on, on sort of paranoia. I, I understand that there's an explosion of COVID going on, but Anthony Fauci says you've got to have a balancing that's going on here. Now, what is U.S. speed skating think, what do they think the kids are doing? As I was saying earlier, some of them live at home. All right, so mom and dad, they get up in the morning, they make breakfast, they drive them to the arena, they get out of the car, they go in, they practice, they come back out, they get back in the car, they drive home. Okay, so what what do you gain by saying to mom and dad, for example, you, you can't go in and sit and watch your kid compete? I, I mean, a number of, I'm told, the athletes, they, they live together. Okay, does anybody think that they're not going out to like a Starbucks or something like that. I mean, there are risks, unfortunately, that are, are out there with, again, getting COVID, especially with this variant that's there. But if this idea is you think you can put these athletes in a bubble, I mean, give me a break. In the store, one of the stories in the paper, you know, one of the dads says, hey, look, why are spectators a, a problem? Spectators at the Pettit, they're not near center ice. They're not anywhere near the skaters. It's a big building. It's got high ceilings, and it's got ventilation. He said, look, okay, distancing, hygiene, masks, ventilation, that's how we've slowed or prevented the spread for the last couple years. But now you you have the people at U.S. Speed Skating who are apparently saying, well, forget about all that stuff. You know, we're we're not going to let people in. It just, it makes to me no sense at all. Jeff, this is the group of people who refuse to acknowledge we have to live with COVID and do our best to work around it. Um, I think that the athletes should stage a revolt against this and boycott the competition. Well, no, I mean, I, they're not going to do that. They're not going to be in a situation for that because th- this is something they've worked all their life for. But their their parents, their grandparents, their friends, they're not going to be able to sit 20 yards, 25 yards away in a big the Pettit Ice Center, it, it's, I don't know that there's a indoor facility that's got better ventilation than that. It's not exactly like it's going to be crowded. If you wanted to limit the number of spectators, okay, kind of like they did at Miller Park, you know, at the beginning of the baseball season when they were operating at, what, 25% capacity or something, okay, even that would be better than telling family and friends that you, you can't go Period. Now, I'm not necessarily advocating that because I, I don't know that these things sell out. I don't know that you'd have people crammed together like sardines, like they are sitting on the benches at uh, Lambeau Field, where apparently we had no problem with that. But th- this is just kind of paranoia. Jeff, my family had tickets, and we're disappointed not to be able to go as spectators. But I really feel bad for the athletes, their families, and for the Pettit Center. And by the way, the Pettit Center was not the people that made the decision. This was um, this was um, this was decision made by U.S. Speed skating. Uh, Jeff, complete overreach. The Sentinel Journal Sentinel article mentioned that the Pettit Center would prefer ticket holders to donate the money for the tickets back to the Pettit Center to cover the cost of hosting the event. Yeah, they're, they're losers in this too. There's no 
question about that. Um, this is kind of the, the, the issue that you have here. You have to have, I think, some sort of balancing about this. Jeff, this story kills me. For 85% of the kids in these ice skating events, this will be the closest they get to the Olympics. They've worked literally their whole life to get to where they are, and their parents supported and paid for them. Now, based on an overreaction, the parents don't even get to see the culminating moment of their short-lived career. I think it's sad. And I think it's it's sad as well. If If this was a different sort of thing. And if this was really something that you could point to and say, man, I think this is a super spreader event, I, I would understand that. But but there, this is a lot safer, it seems to me, than a lot of the other things that are happening. And again, it makes no sense if you've got a competitor who's living at home with mom and dad and spending their time with their friends in their rec room, and now you're saying to them, well, mom and dad can't come and watch you skate. Complete, in my opinion, overreaction to this. Maybe you do what the figure skating people did, which is say, okay, look, we, we've got to cut back on some stuff. We can't have the personal autograph sessions. You know, we've got to put the mask rule in place. That That's all well and good. That's figuring out a way to be smart and live with COVID, understanding that some people are going to get it. Instead, U.S. speed skating says, nope, we're going to shut it down. We're going to pretend by doing that we can keep people safe. Good luck with that. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, that is an interesting point about the people at, at the Pettit Ice Center who obviously, uh, you know, were, were counting on some revenue. I mean, I don't know how well attended these these figure skating, these not figure skating, but the speed skating championships are. But obviously there were people who had tickets and particularly like the family and friends. And they've really had the rug pulled out under, under from under them. And I guess my big point is they've had it pulled out from under them for no really good reason other than this abject fear and paranoia that's out there and look and i appreciate that you've got covid that's around and i appreciate that you've got people who are getting in and are testing positive and then they, they recover a couple days later and obviously you want to try to keep that at a bare minimum whether you're the green bay packers football team or the milwaukee bucks basketball team or you know people who are trying out for the u.s olympic squad but at some point in time don't you have to have a balancing with reality well, I guess when it comes to reality in the U.S. Speed Skating Committee, eh, those two words don't exactly coincide. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right, over the last two years with COVID, you have had kids, students, who have been consigned to the the notion of, and I put this in air quotes, virtual learning. Now, for some students, sitting at home in front of their computer has been an okay substitute for in-person learning. I'm willing to concede that. For the vast majority of kids, it has been a complete and total disaster. And particularly in, say, some of the urban areas, let, let's, let's take MPS that has all sorts of other challenges. A situation where you have a lot of the kids that don't even have access to internet or things like that, where you, you don't have necessarily some of the structure that you need to just simply say, okay, well, we're going to put you in front of a computer and you go ahead and learn. 
I, you know, good luck with that. And, and I guess some of my feeling is, and I think the test scores are going to ultimately document this, and I think almost everybody agrees, that the, the, the kids in many respects who most need that, that learning are the ones that suffer the most from the, the virtual sort of learning. But, but I, I get it that, you know, during, during the height of COVID, when we didn't know what we didn't know about COVID, it was, it was one of these things that we thought, well, we have to do this, even though, you know, the statistics showed that at least the first couple variations of COVID didn't tend to hit kids hard. But, oh, okay, that, that's fine. We, we did it. We went through virtual learning. And I think we've learned that virtual learning is a very, very poor substitute for the in-person type of learning. And I think the general consensus among most parents is they want their kids back in school. The general consensus among most school board members and educators is they they want the kids back in school. You want to get back to in-person learning. Now, one of the problems they're having in the present tense, today, tomorrow, maybe into next week, is the fact that with this Omicron variant being just Again, spreading like it is to people, regardless of whether they are vaccinated or not. As we say repeatedly, you still, I believe, you want to get your vaccinations because even if you get it and you're vaccinated, chances are you're you're not going to be very sick. It's just going to be, okay, I I don't feel good. I've had it described to me as, well, you know, even if I knew it, I've had hangovers that were worse. So, but, but still, you don't want to end up in the hospital. That, that's fine. But the problem, of course, is once you test positive for for COVID, vaccinated or not, you've got to quarantine for a bit. So the big issue right now with a number of the schools is that they don't have enough people to to go in and and to conduct the classes. I mean, there's only so many teachers and there's only so many substitutes. And if you get into a situation where you've got... 10, 15, 20% of, of your teaching staff that's, that's laid up with COVID, sick or not, but still, you know, in quarantines or whatever, you don't have enough to go ahead and, and to do the in-person learning. So a number of schools around our area and across the country ha- have shut down temporarily uh, simply because of of the staff shortages, not because that there is is a concern that people might go and get COVID. It's just that they don't have enough bodies to actually run school. And it's you, you can't. I don't think it's fair to criticize any school district for that. If you don't have enough people, you don't have enough teachers to fill up the classrooms. Well, you, you just you, you got to move to Plan B, and Plan B is we're going to call off school for a couple of days, or we're going to go to virtual learning for a very brief period of time. But here's now where the question becomes: Given the fact that at least for the next month or two. COVID probably isn't going anywhere. I mean, my guess is these numbers are going to continue uh, to to increase because apparently people who are vaccinated are are still getting this, and then they're still going to have to quarantine for their five days or whatever. So, I mean, I I suspect that these numbers are going to be the same for the next several weeks, and then I suspect, just like it's happening in South Africa, where this all started, it's going to level off and then start to dramatically decline once everybody has had it, or, or everybody that's likely to get it has gotten it. But the question becomes, in the interim, You know, what do you do? Do you continue trying, if at all possible, to have in-person classes? Or 
Do you simply say, oh, this virus is too prevalent and, and we're gonna, we're gonna go back to virtual? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Feel free to disagree with me, but I, I just, I feel very strongly about this. Virtual learning is not really learning for most kids. It is an extremely poor substitute for the experience you get of being in classrooms. And I think as long as schools have enough people to run the classes, they should go ahead and do it, as opposed to saying, okay, we're going to go, we're going to say we're going to use virtual learning for the next 60 or 90 days and see where we are. As soon as they've got enough teachers to get back in the classroom, I think they should be back in the classroom. Anything other than that, in my opinion, does a huge disservice to the students. What do you think? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, especially now that we have vaccinations that are available to young people and that we know objectively that young people don't tend to have really bad consequences statistically if they happen to get COVID. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Open up the schools if you can. My answer is yes. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, interestingly, that the new mayor of New York City, his name is Eric Adams, who replaces sort of the faded progressive Bill de Blasio, who's on his way out. It's, it's amazing how much carnage and destruction de Blasio did to New York City on his way out. But but Eric Adams, who's, I think, a much more moderate sort of common sense guy, he, he says, look, we're, we are keeping our schools open. You know, as long as we, we're going to do everything we can to figure out ways to get the staff in. He says, Here, here's what we want to be extremely clear. He says, the safest place for our children is a school building. And we're going to keep our schools open and we are going to ensure that our children are safe and in a safe environment. He says that the coronavirus transmission rate last year in the school year was less than 1%. And he says, on the other hand, when the kids are at home, they face many other risks. Remote learning was terrible for poorer communities. That's not me saying it. It's the mayor of New York. And he, he's absolutely correct. Remote learning is a poor substitute for the in-person teaching. And again, if the kids aren't in school, for everybody who's worried about, oh, well, gosh, you, you can't send them to school because they might get COVID there. Well, what do you think they're going to do when, when they're not in, in school? I mean, it's not like they're just huddling by themselves in in their bedrooms. That, no, they're, they're out and about. They're interacting. And I guess the argument would be it's a lot better to give them a chance to interact in a place where at least you've got some efforts at security, whether it's masks or social distancing and hand washing and all that stuff, than just having having them, uh, again, home with no accountability. And in many cases, and this just isn't for urban school districts, the, the truth of the matter is you, you've got mom and or dad who work outside the home. There's no supervision on what the kids are doing when they're at home during the day. It creates a, a huge burden on the parents to suddenly, with limited notice, and that's one of the beefs that's going on in Madison, Madison announced at the last minute that they were canceling school this week in favor of virtual learning that's canceling the in-person school and it created a huge problem with with the parents who said well you know we, we just can't turn on a dime it's one thing if you're gonna have a snow day okay we get that but it's another thing just to turn on a dime and suddenly have to find 
child care, you know, for, for our kids or somebody that's going to be home to watch them and, and things like that. You, you've got to get the kids in school. You've got to keep the kids in school and you have to do everything you possibly can to, to do it. So I'm willing to cut some slack. Some listeners aren't. And I'll share you a couple texts in a minute. But I mean, I'm willing to cut some slack if MPS says we just don't have enough teachers to operate because, you know, everybody's got COVID vaccinated or not. And everybody's, you know, in, in these quarantines. OK, fine. Well, you know, people are going to be coming out of those quarantines soon. And as soon as you get back to that critical mass, you've got to get back to school. Jeff, remote learning, virtual learning is a joke. Um, yeah, I think there's situation like that. Um, Jeff, if a student has an IEP, an individual education plan, is dictated by law, the school is most likely unable to provide those services when they are not in person. Thereby, the school is violating the law by not providing the required services for the children. For example, a speech pathologist or an audio um, audiologist. There are many other services schools provide to students in addition to regular teaching for special needs students. I don't know why these parents aren't fighting virtual school more. Well, I think a lot of them, you know, do fight virtual school, um, you know, quite a bit. One of my son-in-laws is is a special education teacher. You know, he talks about all the, he talks with me about all the challenges that you have under any situation, any normal situations dealing with special needs kids. And then you, you add in the, the prospect of virtual learning, which makes it almost impossible for the teachers to do their job. Jeff, my wife is a high school teacher and says, open the schools as long as both the teachers and students have to wear masks. Right now, it's just the teachers who are required to wear them. I Look, I, I'm agnostic on the question of masks. I'm, I'm a guy who... You know, if the rules say you got to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. I, I'm not a fan of that necessarily, but if that's what the rules say, if if you can demonstrate empirically that wearing that mask is likely to significantly prevent or deter the transmission of COVID among kids in classrooms, well, then for a short period of time, I'd say go ahead and wear the masks because it's more important to have the kids in school and then reassess it um, later. Jeff, as a parent who has done the whole virtual learning thing with their kids, I'd like for them to be in school. Um, the problem here in Menominee Falls is that the school board refuses to offer virtual learning and wants the kids in school, but also refuses to have a mandatory mask policy. Well, that's that's another sort of, of issue that's there, and school boards have to figure that out. Now, here's one of our cynical texters. Jeff, I'm not accepting we're short-staffed as an excuse anymore from any industry. When I managed a metal fabrication shop, we could never tell the customer some BS like that. We had to figure out how to produce. I understand that this COVID situation is a bit different, but it's been two years now. Figure it out. Stop hiding behind the easy excuse. Well, I guess my response to that would be, and and MPS says, for example, we'll take MPS as the indicator, that they just got whomped by a bunch of teachers who ended up testing positive for COVID. And there's so many that tested positive. And so it's not like they're going to be gone forever. They're going to be gone for a couple days so that they've had to kick back the in-person learning till next week. I understand how stuff happens. Now, if it's a month from now and we're still saying we don't have enough teachers, I, I think 
it's it fair at that point in time to say, okay, what what exactly is is going on? What, why did so many people get sick? And you know what's been happening? Sometimes stuff just happens. So if you gotta go virtual for a couple days or cancel school for a day or two, I, I'm, I'm willing to cut some slack. But I think big picture is we cannot revert to where we were a year or two ago when the vast majority of stuff occurred. And, and we just went to virtual learning because I, I think we've got a lot of kids who've just frankly lost a year or two of their educations that they're really never going to get back. Fred in Random Lake. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Fred. Um, yes, I have a grandson who's uh, autistic, and I could tell he's getting further and further away with communicating with people. And uh, yeah. he's, a, he's a bright kid, but uh, he needs that social contact. Right. And uh, I could see it in his personality. You know, I see him every two weeks up, up in Rand Lake, and he has a hard time yeah. uh, with communicating. Oh, yeah. Right. It, it's, and, uh, that, it's that socialization. It's, it's not just reading the books. It's not just even if you, if you, if you take the classes and you, you're able to learn by looking at the computer. It's that whole socialization. It's that interaction, which is so right. important to the development of a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And also, you know, my granddaughter, his sister, you know, um, she's, um, uh, she's about in third grade now. She also needs that social contact. I could tell that she's also going into, uh, yeah. Oh, I don't want to be by anybody anybody else. Right. Right. Um, yeah, a handful. It makes it tough. Yeah, no, Fred, thanks for calling. I mean, look, there are going to be kids that, that thrive in that, and I, I know one in particular. But but for most people, it's just, it's not good. And I, you know, and it just, it, the whole thing does kind of break my heart. I just, I think it hasn't been fair to kids. I, my, um, and this is sort of a different sort of situation, but my niece who graduated last spring, summa cum laude from San Diego State, I mean, her, her last, year and a half was essentially virtual. I mean, and it's, you know, you, you lost you, you lost all that socialization of your last year in college. Now, it obviously didn't hurt her. She's in law school. She's going to be doing really well there. But but it's you, we've taken that, that whole, those senior years, those junior years, all that stuff, and we're, we're canceling competitions right and left. My grandson, my wife's grandson, was supposed to be in some competition coming up. Uh, this weekend, well, it, it got canceled, and I, I, I understand. You know, we're doing these things to kind of deal with the immediate spread of COVID, but you know, we, we've got to figure out a way to get past this. And I do believe, and I, and I say this sincerely, I do believe that we're going to be in a position relatively soon, where just like in South Africa, where where the COVID numbers are going to start start to drop off, just because everybody's going to have had it symptomatic, asymptomatic, whatever, and we're closer to it being endemic, that just kind of a, a part of regular life where, okay, you don't want to get the flu, you don't want to get COVID, you don't want to get a cold, all those sort of things. We're not there yet, but the more people that get this variant and build up the immunity and stuff like that, the closer we are to it. Now, that's that's a silver lining in what is a right now a very dark cloud, but but I think the school systems need to be committed to saying we're going to do everything we possibly can to get us back to normal. And normal means having the kids in classes Monday through Friday. <laughs> 
And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, during our, our WTMJ 2022 segment, uh, which is a week from tomorrow, I, I, I have the health panel. It's an interesting panel. And one of the questions I want to pose, and hear, hear me out on this, because I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-vaccination. I'm not. I'm vaccinated and boosted. But I'm looking at all these venues that are requiring, as a condition to, to get in, you have to show proof that you're vaccinated. Well, that, that I, I just throw this out as food for thought. That that made sense when vaccinations stopped you from getting the first couple you know rounds of covid the the covid and then the regular covid and then the delta if now and i just throw this out to make people think about if if the vaccinations being vaccinated doesn't stop you from getting omicron i mean it stops you from getting sick very sick from omicron and that's that benefits you. But if it doesn't stop you from getting Omicron in the first place, therefore, meaning that, you know, you, you could pass th- this on. If that's the case, are, are we missing the boat when we're requiring vaccinations? I mean, because if you I guess my point is, if you can get infected when vaccinated or unvaccinated, if that's if there's no such thing as breakthrough cases anymore, well, okay, vaccinations are, are still double because it's going to stop you from being in the hospital. But if it's not going to stop you from getting it in the first place, meaning you can pass it on, do, do we need to change our strategy? I throw that out there as food for thought, and it's one of the things maybe I'm going to pose to our panel of health experts as we constantly see things changing because of what we learn about COVID moving forward and how these variants change things. All right, we'll be back with lots more in the next hour. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. So, Melissa Barkley, you're not planning on flying anywhere anytime soon, are you? What do you consider anytime soon? Well, next week or so? No. I, I, this, this, it is the perfect storm. Of, of horror stories for the airlines. Um, it's, it's no secret that there, there's two things that are whooping the airlines right now. And first is the fact that flights, flight crews and flight staff has been decimated by COVID. First of all, it was during the start of the pandemic. You had airlines, because nobody was flying anywhere, you had airlines that laid off sort of people. They, they dropped folks. And so they've been bringing those back slowly to, to try to get us to where we were pre-pandemic. So on top of that now, you're, you're so you're still working with, I don't want to say bare bones, but you're not back to where you were a couple of years ago. So now you have this, this Omicron variant you know, blowing through the the world, and you have all these pilots and crews and ground crews and um, flight crews who are getting sick. And now, now the good news is they're not getting really sick, but they're they're still quarantining for a few days. So you've got that, and then you add into it that we've been through a stretch since Christmas of bad weather, not necessarily bad weather every day here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but across the country, there, there's been some big butt storms, including one that's the pounding one out on East the Coast. East Coast right. right now, I had a girlfriend that came in for the Packers game on Sunday, and she lives in the D.C. area, and they were flying out today, so I haven't heard whether they've made it or not, but she said there were 10 inches of snow and no power at her right. house. <laughs> so she's not alone. <laughs> Maybe you want to stay Oof. back and agree. Well, I mean, yeah. here's the deal. Okay, th- this is the most late, the latest reports I have. Um, more than a 1,000 flights were canceled today, just today alone. And again, it's not all COVID, but it's COVID, 
driving you know shortages of, of flight crew members and pilots, and it's it's the bad weather. Carriers had canceled more than 1,200 U.S. flights and delayed more than 1,600 by midday Tuesday. That is today. This follows a three-day stretch in which more than 8,600 U.S. flights were canceled, or about one out of every 10. Southwest Airlines, which is one of the big providers here to Milwaukee, they had canceled 321 flights by midday Tuesday, about 10% of the carrier's schedule for the day. They delayed 424. What was your girlfriend flying? Do you remember? I don't remember. Yeah. I think she was. She normally flies Southwest, so yeah. I don't um, know. Airline was working to return to normal operations after the, but then they got the big winter storm. Mm-hmm. JetBlue canceled 107 flights oh. by midway today. That's 11 percent of their schedule. They had delayed 139. Um, again, it's just. It's just this kind of Delta had canceled 59 flights by midday Tuesday, um, small percentages. But it just it shows how how vulnerable the whole system is that whenever you get a situation where you've got a bunch of people who are sick or alternatively, you get that bad weather and then you put the two of them together and it's hope you don't have to just be a anywhere. nightmare. Yeah. And I'll have to like text her and see how she's doing. But I'm guessing she probably got delayed or canceled. Oh, oh yeah. And of course. The, the the I was telling the story earlier about how mm-hmm. I got stuck at the D.C. airport oh, in yeah. 1983 and ended up um, sharing a bottle of scotch with the noted <laughs> author James Mishner while oh, I'm nice. sleeping on the floor. Well, it was an interesting- Isn't it amazing who you meet at the airport? I, it, I have stories like that too. It, it's just, yeah. right, and it's just and we, we spent the night together, That's you know, awesome. on, on yeah. the floor at the Reagan National Airport in 1984. <laughs> and I remember thinking at the time. I, I had no idea that my my career would end up doing this. I had no idea I'd be telling the story on the radio. But yeah, it, but it's one where you know, thirty five, yeah. thirty six years later, you get to say, yeah, I, I spent the night with James Mishner drinking shot, drinking scotch on the floor of the Reagan National Airport. You That's know, one was, of those stories. But, yeah, but they do not. I have always believed, and I, every time we get snow around here, I know people are always frustrated that gee, they didn't get my alley cleared out, or this or that or the other thing. But I. I continue to believe that as a general rule we do snow really really well around here they do not do snow well in the washington dc area they just don't they don't know what they don't know what to do with 10 right. inches of and, snow and i agree with you there i feel like but we have to know how to do snow well here or it oh yeah just, it wouldn't work but yeah i agree when these other places get the snow it's like you know hands in the air what what, do we, what happens what do we do well right they're just not yeah. equipped to exactly. deal with these large amounts of snow and and the truth is even if you get this monster snowstorm, chances are typically it, it, a lot of it's going to melt in the next, you know, several days. It, it, no, no, no matter how much they've gotten, even at the beginning of January, my, my guess is they'll have some warm days and you'll have some melting. Here, you know, you get that 10 or 12 inches of snow and it ain't going anywhere till you know, April sometimes. And I was so. reading about that long, I wasn't at the pileup, but it was a big delay. I think it was in on I-95 in Virginia or somewhere uh, where, you know, there was just a backup and they were out on the freeway for you know 15 hours people were running out of food they had no water in their car so you know major problems over on the east coast right, right. now with yeah. the weather right yeah. exactly and again if, you, if you've seen the way particularly in those the, not not the new yorks and not the mm-hmm. the connecticut's and things but the, those mid-atlantic states sure. that just aren't geared to deal with enormous amounts of, of snow and it ends up um paralyzing stuff Mm -hmm. maybe your friend's going to need a place to stay i I would (laughs) say my place is open there you go (laughs) okay when we come back well melissa's friend was in green bay let's talk about aaron Rodgers for a minute he's clearly a flake but is he forgiven i'll explain we'll discuss you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj 
Well, like you, I watched the Packers just dismantle the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday. Thoroughly enjoyed this, as we've talked about a couple times this week. The Green Bay Packers have the inside track to the Super Bowl. The game they are playing in Detroit on Sunday is meaningless. We discussed yesterday whether you should be playing the starters or not. My answer is no, but uh, the coach says he thinks he's going to, and that's going to be great unless and until one of them hurt. But that's that's another story. But the bottom line is this has been an incredibly successful season for the Green Bay Packers. And and maybe it was something that people didn't see coming after all the off-season turmoil Remember all the stuff with Aaron Rodgers? He's unhappy with management. He wants more of a say. He doesn't know that he wants to play. He might want to go be the host of Jeopardy and things like that. And then think back to the opening week, season, the first game of the season. Now, I, they, they played the New Orleans Saints. I, I didn't see the game because this was the day we were flying home from our, our cruise, our, our Normandy trip. So I know a couple people that I was with on the plane. They had made arrangements to, like, DVR to, to record the game and stuff. We got in, and I heard that they had lost, like, 38-3. to 3, And I kind of gently went around and said... Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to deprive you of this, but you know, it's, it's maybe not worth your time to worry about. So the, the Packers got absolutely blown out by New Orleans. Everybody, or at least a lot of people were saying, Oh my God, is this the problem? Is this Rogers not invested in the team? Is this team awful? All those things. And, and what do the Packers do? Well, after that first week, they go in and they've now, what, they're 13 and three. So that means they've won 13 out of their last 15 games. I just, An amazing sort of season. And during the season, there there was controversy because, so we discussed, Aaron Rodgers gets put on the the COVID list. You know, that's not his fault. But, you know, it all turns out that Aaron Rodgers in preseason interviews gave what I think could charitably be described as misleading answers when he was asked whether you know, he was he had received vaccinations and that created this whole controversy as well that had Aaron Rodgers in the news for non football related reasons for, you know, at least a portion of the season. But but now here the Packers are. They're 13 and three. When. When Brett Favre was sort of forced into retirement and kind of kicked out of the door by the the Green Bay Packers. We talked about that a lot on this program. And I said at the time, it was about, it was about 50-50 among the audience. Half the people thought, okay, it's time for Brett to go. Other half thought, you know, he's been this this great Green Bay Packer quarterback. He should, the Packers shouldn't be forcing him out the door. And and there, there was a lot of controversy about that. Now, once he went to the Minnesota Vikings, people turned a little bit on Brett, but time heals all wounds. Last summer, at the height of the Aaron Rodgers controversy, I would say that the texts and calls to this program about Aaron Rodgers and his not wanting to play for the Packers, I would say 80-20. If you don't want to play here, head out the door. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. It was a much different reaction than the Favre story was. And 
a month or two ago when we were talking about Aaron Rodgers and the misleading statements about whether he was vaccinated or not. A lot of the same reaction. I think a lot of people were kind of hostile towards him. You know, how could you do this? It, you know, why would you lie? You know, what were you trying to, to prove? All those things. Well, okay, now the season is almost over. The Packers are 13 and three. They are, according to odds makers, the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily anything, but it, it's, you'd rather, He'd rather be the favorites in the Las Vegas odds makers to win the Super Bowl than a team that is out of the playoffs, like the Vikings or the Bears or the Lions or things like that. Aaron Rodgers is unquestionably flaky. I, I think that's that's fair. He he is incredibly talented, maybe one of the best, best quarterbacks to ever play the game, but he's also he marches to a sort of different drummer. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. And he's not flaky necessarily in a bad way. I mean, it's not like he's pulling off his jersey and walking off and quitting on the team at halftime. It's not like he's getting arrested for committing crimes and stuff. He's just, he's kind of, um, well, the Wall Street Journal describes it today as Aaron Rodgers is his own his own deal. <laughs> and I think that's that's a fair way to describe it. He's kind of... I'm saying flaky, but I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. He's just different, all right? Got a different sort of approach to life. But he is incredibly successful. And the Packers this year have been incredibly successful. So here is my question to you. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is everything forgiven? I mean, think back all the controversy in the summer, all the controversy over COVID and the worries that, hey, he's going to miss this game and they're going to lose that game, and that might stop him from getting home field advantage or making the playoffs or any of that sort of stuff. Okay, that's now all in the rearview mirror. Are we moving on? Is all that stuff forgiven? Does everybody love Aaron Rodgers again? And do we all want to see him come back and continue to finish out his career with the Green Bay Packers, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. And this is going to be a fun conversation. By the way, we're going to carry over the news. Um, let's start with Lamar in Orlando, Florida. Hi, Lamar. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, what's the temperature down in uh, Orlando? So, what's the temperature there today? Um it's 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 a it's a it's a brisk seventy two degrees. <laughs> yeah, a brisk seventy two. So you got to put that windbreaker on when you go out to dinner tonight. Okay, I got it. All right. well, okay, yes. what do you what do you think yes. about Favre? He's he's a flake, but he but he's our flake. Is all forgiven? Oh, listen, I, I I was on the screen. I never was mad at mad at Rogers ever. Here's why. Um, so I'm a I've been a Dyer Packer fan my entire life, but I've been a Magic Orlando Magic basketball. I'm not a Bucks fan, but I'm a, I'm a Magic fan. And this reminded me of the fan reaction to Roger, reminded me of the fan reactions back when young Shaquille O'Neal was asking for $100 million. And the fans scoffed at it, right? That's how I felt right. with, with the fans being mad at Rodgers. He's not an average quarterback. He's not even above average. Right. He is probably one of the top one, two, or three ever to do, ever to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's not like his issues are toxic. They're not. He's, right. just, he's just a different kind of player. Yeah. You know, and I would have bent over backwards to give him what he wanted to keep him. He's that good. 
Right now, let me ask you this: so, this, this, is, this has been a magic. This has been a magic, no pun intended, year for the Packers. I mean, they're thirteen and three. They're, they're uh, Rogers is the odds-on favorite to win a second consecutive um, MVP award at the age of thirty-eight, which would be really incredible. If if it hadn't have worked out this way, if the Packers had only been average this year instead of great, do you think the fan base might have had a different attitude towards Aaron Rodgers? Absolutely, yeah. fans are fans are fickle. Remember the remember the men in black quote of Jeff about you know individual humans are rational, but you know people are panicky. <laughs> right, That's yeah. how fans are. Individuals are very rational, but fans are very reactive. They're panicky and they're 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 sometimey, and it's 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 unfortunate, but that's just how fans are. And and, and I love my fellow Packer fans, but they got that one, this one wrong. Even if they would have had an average year, I still think that they, they they'd have been mad. But I right. think that it would have been unearned because this guy's track record is amazing. It is. Thanks for calling, Orlando. Okay, thanks for calling Lamar in Orlando. We're going to pick it up right there. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, in 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 the summer. When at the height of the Aaron Rodgers, he wants to be the general manager of the Packers and have all this input. I would say our calls ran about 80-20. Don't let the door hit you on the way out when you leave, Aaron. Um, at, at the height of the misleading statements about the COVID vaccinations and was it going to cost the Packers game, probably about 80-20. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. All right. Is, has all the winning and the incredible successful season he's had is is all forgiven now. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. I do think this conversation would be a lot different if if Aaron Rodgers had had an average year, if he had started showing his age, um, which which he hasn't. If the Packers had an average year, if Aaron Rodgers had gotten hurt and not been able to play, if the Packers had been 8-8 eight and eight and been on the way out of the playoffs, it would be a different conversation. But winning does you know, heal a lot of stuff, and I don't think anybody can look at this Packers season and not say, well, you know, even with all the, the angst, even with all the controversy in the summer, there's no question that the Packers are a lot better off now with Aaron Rodgers playing as he has than they would have been had they traded him. I I will say this. I think regardless of how this season ends, and hopefully it'll end with a Super Bowl win, um, for, for next year, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers would be really do really well to to get it resolved, and, and that is if he's coming back to play another year, if he's going to sign a, a long term deal to play another two or three years, that they they would be well to get that done early instead of let this kind of hang on a, as a cloud. And if the Packers do in fact go on to win the Super Bowl, I think you know a lot of fans are going to be saying, okay, well you know we we don't like some of the stuff that Rodgers did last summer, and he's a little bit flaky, but. We we like the results he's delivering. John in Chicago. John, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi Jeff. Hi John. Uh, Let me you ask know, you this: I, Are you a Bears fan? You a Bears fan? Oh no. Oh okay. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, no, I've been living here for thirty years. So Got it. I, I, I enjoy football as much as I see the Bears lose and the Packers win. But uh, but but back to Rogers. I mean, I think the guy just wanted to win and and win with the Packers. I think what really stuck in his you know, his craw was when he didn't run it in in the championship game with third down and then they kicked the field goal. Right. You know, I think he's so competitive. And, and, you know, so I think he's always had as his paramount concern to make sure they have a winning, uh, the best football team. So, you know, him, you know, being able to talk to Gutenquins and make the team better just made sense. The guy is 
you know, probably the smartest guy besides Brady in football right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that, you know, listen, he is naturally he'll deteriorate. That's the way quarterbacks go. And But I think I think Rodgers is an awful long way away from that, the way he's playing and, and just how he knows the game. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure fans would have turned on him a little, you know, a little bit for sure. That's just the way fans are. But, you know, don't be down here in Chicago. have <laughs> that. <laughs> Not a quarterback, and you know, since Sid Lockman, yeah. and you know, we were so fortunate <laughs> yeah, to have was, that guy. Yeah, that, the help. That, that's you know, thank, thank, and I think that's again, it, it would have been interesting to see how this would have played out because if if the Packers were playing a meaning meaningful game, meaningless game on Sunday, but in a different way, the game on Sunday is meaningless because they're the number one seed in the NFC home field advantage. So it doesn't matter. But if they were playing a meaningless game because they sucked and they'd had an awful year and they were seven and, you know, what, seven and nine or whatever, it, it, we'd be having a different conversation because I think people would be less forgiving. But the truth is, you know, Rogers was able to deliver he was able to put the controversy that i believe he in part caused um he was able to put it behind him and use that as maybe a motivating factor it does seem like they're they're getting along better in green bay and i guess looking at at this I, i think now it's a situation and maybe this is a little bit different than what i would have said last summer but maybe now i mean are the packers a much better team with aaron Rodgers? absolutely has aaron Rodgers demonstrated that even at the age of 38 he can play at a high level absolutely um, would you rather see Jordan Love being the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers for the next couple of years or Aaron Rodgers? Well, I think that's kind of a no-brainer as well. So maybe this is one of those examples of everything being forgiven. Just like with Brett Favre, people, at least a lot of people, really felt betrayed when he ended up not with the New York Jets, but ultimately with the Minnesota Vikings and threw touchdown passes in Lambeau Field. All, all is forgiven. I think... I, I hope that Aaron Rodgers finishes his career in Green Bay just because I always hate these situations where you see these great players that end up going off and playing in another uniform. And Tom Brady notwithstanding, I know what happened last year in Tampa with Tom Brady, but that's not the trajectory that almost all of these players have. They leave the team at the end of their careers, and they rarely Tom Brady notwithstanding, they rarely go on to achieve anything close to the level of success. And from Aaron Rodgers' perspective, looking at the the teams the Packers have, the team they have, and and, and what they've accomplished, even with all the injuries they've had, where is he seriously going to be able to go to have another better chance to get back to the Super Bowl next year? Let's talk to Gary in Delafield. Gary, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, As a fellow analytic thinker, uh, I'm surprised that you haven't taken my position. And that is, I follow the Green Bay Packers. I will never meet Aaron Rodgers. I don't know the man. All I care is what he does when he gets out on the field. Mm-hmm. If he cheats on his taxes, he cheats on his spouses if he's married, I don't care. That's his life. And fans tend to think that they know people. They don't. All they see is what the person does on the field. Tiger Woods being Tiger Woods being a great Tiger Woods being a great example of that. Exactly, you know, exactly. you, yeah. you you had this all American so, boy image, and, and Tiger Woods, the reality, at least at a certain point in time in his life, anything but what that image was. Sure, but you can't deny him as a awesome golfer, and that's right. my view on celebrity, especially sports celebrities. 
the heck with what they do in street clothes. I want to know what they do on the field. And if they're not performing, next man up, right? Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes, though, what they do off the field can create such a distraction that it ends up hurting the team. Now, in the Rodgers case, it, it, it didn't. He's obviously extremely well-respected by the teammates. They, they kind of rallied around him. Sometimes, though, you have the, these athletes that sort of shoot off their mouth and they lose the team. Now, that didn't happen with Rodgers, but sometimes what they right. do off the right. sometimes what they do outside the lines can affect the team. But that clearly wasn't the case here. Right. And, and again, I, if anyone is on the fence, I, I propose separating the man from the game. Yeah. And, and looking at the results. It'll, it'll make things easy for you. Right. No, thanks. And in that, in that case, in that, now we know what we didn't know in July when this whole controversy, June or July when this, this whole controversy was going on. We know that Aaron Rodgers was still able to play at an incredibly high level. And I, I'll tell you, who thought after that first game, 38 to three, just get, and, and Rodgers had an awful game. We, we, you know, which I understand. Everybody has a bad game. Everybody has a bad day. You go to work some days and most days you're probably kicking butt. And then every once in a while you just have one of those days that everything you touch turns to you know what. And, and and Rodgers had one of those kind of games, but he's certainly turned it around. And no question, if he's able to deliver and get back, and I'm I'm a Packers fan, but I I also, I mean, I do think that this the the Packers over the last x number of years there's been a lot of missed opportunities that the fact that they've only been to three super bowls during the entire Favre Rodgers era, it, it's just. It's sort of frustrating because at the end of the day, you, you want to win the, the championship. And um, this is one of these deals where maybe this year is actually the year. And if so, I think they want to do everything they can then to bring Aaron Rodgers back. Hey, even if they don't get back to the Super Bowl, I think they want to try to do everything they can to bring Aaron Rodgers back. And maybe he's going to want to come back. How wonderful would that be? When we come back, we'll find out what Eric and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.